You know, I'm told that if I'm an adult of an average age, uh, average weight, give or take a few pounds here and there, here is what I'll accomplish in 24 hours. My heart would have beaten 103,689 times. My blood would have traveled about 268.8 million kilometers. I would have breathed about 23,000 times. And I would have eaten 1.3 kilos of food. And don't forget to double the amount over this Mother's Day celebration. I would have drunk something like three liters of water. I've moved 750 muscles. I've exercised about seven million brain cells. Well, no wonder I feel tired most of the time. <laughs> well, probably uh, would have spoken about 5,000 words, including some very unnecessary ones. And by the time I finish, I would have spoken about 3,000 words. Now, apparently, the moment I speak one word, the marrow in my bones produces over 100,000 red blood cells. Can you imagine the amount of work that's going in my body? And perhaps I understand why, you know, after the days when I'm up here, I need to sleep later on in the afternoon. Men and women is an amazing sculpture of art. And there's no doubt we are a miracle of uh, precision engineering. Now, we hear stories of how people would have climbed up to the highest mountain. They were tracked across the Arctic and the Antarctic. And then we have heard of people who have survived for days without food and water before the rescuers get to them. Now, we cannot but be impressed by its workmanship. We are wonderfully formed. And, God said, um, and Paul said that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works for him. You know, it's true that we are a miracle of uh, precision engineering. But Paul's over here is what we've just read. Somehow paints a not so um, attractive picture of the human life. He says that we are earthen vessels, well, earthen containers, uh, in some, or jars of clay in some other Bible versions. Now, when Paul says that we are jars of clay or earthen vessels, he's saying to the effect that we are made of fragile stuff. Like clay uh, pots in the Old Testament, we are just baked, made of uh, mud, and some of us are, you know, half baked. You know, by our very nature, we are fragile. And under the pressures of life, we chip, we crack, we break, and we even shatter. Now, we are not made of vessels, uh, uh, we are not vessels made uh, of brass, steel, or gold. Now, where nobody would uh, consider looking twice or even thinking about taking it home and even at a bargain price. Basically, there's nothing special about any of us. Nothing extraordinary. 
nothing to suggest that we contain anything unusual. And this is the picture that um, Paul wants us to identify with. You know, the earthen jars actually represents us. You know, the thing is, um, we fill uh, our jars with all kinds of things. And for some people's uh, uh, jars or pots are really full. Some people are full of themselves or full of the desire for money or success. Some are filled with bitterness and for unforgivenessness. And we fill our jars uh, overflowing with things that it won't matter in the days to come, in the million years to come. But we are jars with a difference. And God needs empty jars, why? To fill up with his treasure. And God can't fill a pot if it is full. God needs empty pots. And these empty pots so that he can fill the treasure. You know, we hold within us a great treasure. One of the most precious treasure on earth. The life of Jesus. And it says we are vessels which contain the power and the glory of Christ. The life of Christ. And say Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, it's a treasure which is ours because of the cross. It's a treasure which comes to us through the power of God. It is a treasure which is housed in every one of us believer. Where even the, the simplest and the plainest and the most unlikely clay jar can contain this priceless treasure. It is a treasure that we can always display even uh, because even when we are broken, we are not thrown away. The treasure is the life of Jesus. The treasure is Christ in me. The life of Christ in me. Now what does it mean to uh, have the life of Christ in me? What does it mean that you and me uh, contain and uh, to display this life of Christ. You know, remember there was a time when uh, it was very popular to wear one of those bracelets, the WWJD. Remember that? And it was a sort of we wear that to continue to remind ourselves this question: What would Jesus do? Now then, the person wearing the bracelet tries to imitate Jesus and what Jesus would do. Right? Now when you ask the question, what would Jesus do? You would assume that you know what Jesus would do in a given situation. But I'm not sure if I know what Jesus would do uh, sometimes or every time. Because he has a way of just surprising people by doing just the opposite of what they expected. You know, the main problem with uh, WWJD is, is this. Even if you knew what Jesus would do, what makes you think you could do what Jesus would do? Now, let me just give you an example. You know, one time Jesus was at a storm, 
and we are told that you know it was the winds were just all round and the, and the disciples were just frightened out of their wits and he came and he spoke to the wind and the rain and said peace be still and next minute there was calm so does it mean that the next time you are in a thunderstorm you should walk up in the wind and lift up your hands and say peace be still go ahead try it just don't get struck by lightning you know all I'm saying is that the Christian life is not uh, about imitating Jesus but rather it is simply containing the life of Jesus and allowing him to live his life in and through my body maybe we should make a bracelet that says WWJDIM and let it stand for what will Jesus do in me what will Jesus do in me I can never imitate Jesus but I can contain and display the life of Christ in me and that's what um, uh, what Paul says that he always carry around the body of the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in my body what will Jesus do in me so the focus can't be just on uh, the clay jar it must be on the treasure that is within the life of Christ and how it's revealed in my body you know it says that um, the Bible contains um, several uh, examples of paradox and often you hear Jesus says that in order to live you, you ought to die you've got to die now the puzzling paradox here is that God delights to use imperfect vessels and the treasure has been entrusted to earthen vessels and God uses uh, the ordinary to express the extraordinary now look at the way the uh, early church began God chose us uh, peasants fishermen nobodies and so-called weak people and it wasn't the so-called elite the well-trained Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law that Jesus chose to start the church you know the early Christians were called unlearned and ignorant people and yet God used this um, the term a ragtag bunch of uh, believers to turn the world upside down you know in this world we uh, establish our own social order and we tend to place people in uh, social levels based on their wealth their education or their status now, so and so have a this double degree uh, in PhD in in this field so and so so successful um, and make his uh, first billion dollars at age of 30s and we look at all the achievement and say because of what they've done surely they're most qualified to you know to lead and to do uh, to, and when they tell us what they need to do we need to just follow <clears throat> now, on the outside they look impressive but God looks deeper you know the one thing is God often chooses to use the most 
unlikely candidates to carry out his plans. You see, our spirituality is not, um, must not be judged on what we do, but on what God has done for us. It is not the piety of our appearance, nor the eloquence in defending our faith, nor our knowledge and understanding of the scripture or doctrinal statements, nor the size of the contribution that we make to the church. We have nothing, we are nothing, we deserve nothing, we can contribute nothing, succeed at nothing, except by the grace of God. You know, the Lord often uses fragile and weak people to accomplish his purposes and plans in this world. You know, there's a, a story in the Old Testament that illustrates this. You remember in the book of Judges, the story of Gideon. And we read that he was uh, uh, hiding away and doing his work, threshing in the wheat um, because of the fear of the enemies. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him, Gordon, you're going to uh, kick the uh, Midianites invaders out of Israel. And if you read the account, it's, uh, it's, uh, Gideon sort of said to the effect, but I belong to the weakest of the 12 tribes. And my clan is um, the weakest of the weakest tribe. Beside that, I'm the weakest man in the whole clan. And I'm only a smallest fly uh, in, in the litter. But it seems God says, nope, I've chosen you. I know all that, but I chose you. You know, so at God's direction, Gideon trimmed an army of 32,000 to just a band of 300 soldiers. And as we read, they surrounded the camp of the Midianites. And each showed, uh, soldier was given an empty clay jar, a torch, and a trumpet. And they placed the torch inside the clay jar. And at a given moment, the uh, soldiers blew the trumpet, smashed the jars, and shouted. And the story goes that the Midianites uh, woke with panic at the sound of the trumpets, the breaking of jar, and the shouting. And they were so confused, they fought each other, and they were just routed. You know, God calls all kinds of people. And he delights to use those that the world considers to be inferior. And is, the reason why is because God uses imperfect people. is because so that they can see this extraordinary greatness of the power of God. You know, you may think that you're not valuable enough for God to be able to use. You may think that you may have too many chips or, or cracks or past and present problems and failures. But what is valuable is not us, but whom is in us. What is valuable is not what holds the, the, the treasure, but the treasure itself the life of Christ that's in us. You know, you'd be surprised how many times our so-called flaws may actually be blessings in disguise. Or better yet, 
turn uh, our imperfection, uh, imperfections into mighty works for the good of others and for towards the glory of God. You know, that's God what God wants to do, to let his light shine through us. And God delights to use fragile and weak people so that he alone and he alone will receive the glory. You know, in the Christian community, there are two views regarding our essential makeup as humans. Either the trichotomy or the dichotomy. Now, the view that man, I'm using it as a generic term, okay, is made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit, is called trichotomy. And the other view that man is just made of two parts, body and the soul and spirit is, is uh, considered as one. It's called dichotomy. Now, I'm most cued towards the dichotomy, uh, trichotomy style because um, the scripture seems to lend itself that the spirit and the soul is different. Now, of course, we, in Hebrews, we read that for the word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as division of soul and spirit. And here it mentions that the word of God cuts right between our soul and spirit. So the difference is mentioned here. And then Paul, you know, in Thessalonians says that may... Then now may the God of peace himself sanctifies you entirely and may keep your spirit and soul and body be kept complete. In Genesis, it tells us that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now we are told clearly that uh, we are made from the dust of the ground. That's, I think, where Paul uh, get his uh, image of this earthen Im- uh, vessel. That's the, that's the body. And the breath of life given to us becomes our spirit. And man became a living being, a living soul. Body, soul, spirit. Now, as we all know that the body is the wizard part of us, where we interact with the world through our five senses. Smell, taste, touch, hear, and see. Now, which translates to the needs and wants uh, of physical desires like food, shelter, clothing. And this body is capable of good and also capable of immorality and for, for evil too. But basically, this uh, physical body enables man to uh, communicate with the physical world. That's why this is often called the, uh, the world consciousness element of, our human, be- of our, our human being. Next, the soul. And it is basically you, it's basically me. It is your identity. It is your personality. It is your character. This is where it houses your emotions and passions. And this is the uh, part of uh, the part where love um, uh, is generated towards um, affection, towards um, human or to, to others. And the soul also comprises of 
intellect, which is your mind and your thoughts, which makes our existence possible, because then you know what to do, what you don't want to do. Then there's also your will and your desires, and your conscience, which could be noble or could be seared. Now all these parts of the man's body, uh, of man himself, and they form the personality of the man. The Bible calls it the living soul, the living being. You know, the Bible um, then refers to the, the spirit as the inner man, read in 2 Corinthians. And that is sort of the God consciousness part of, of the man. You know, the spirit is the, of man is the part where we get spiritual discernment, where we get revelation. Paul says that he pray that God will give us the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. And also from our, in our spirit is also the place where it sits peace. And Romans tells us the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And then there's a place where we fellowship with God. Because God is spirit. And the human spirit is where uh, like and like communicate. And Ezekiel says that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and bring it about you that you may walk in my statutes and are careful to follow my ordinances. So the part of this, the spirit is also the part where uh, man communicates with God. And with this part, man worships God. He serves him. Hence is God called God consciousness and man part of man. Now here is a place where the life of Jesus is housed. You know, but for the life of Jesus to be housed and then to be revealed, it needs to pass through our body, through the soul, and through the body. You see, we're, the soul is sort of uh, in the, the middle part of it, and it is almost quite, uh, quite powerful. And it's determined if the spiritual realm is to rule, or if the physical realm is to rule. You know, sometimes the uh, soul rules through its intellect. You know, I, I know God created the, the, the world with all the things around me that shows the creation of God, but nope, I refuse to accept that. And sometimes the body rules through physical desires. That's when dependent to, uh, to some, some uh, immoral needs, or immoral wants, rather. Then there's what Paul calls and describes us as carnal. You see, unless the soul used to its rule to the spirit, the spirit cannot rule. Hence, the soul has sort of to authorize the spirit to rule before the later can come and rule over the, the soul and the whole body. You know, it's God's intent for man's spirit to be at his dwelling place with his Holy Spirit through the union with the human spirit to govern the soul. So that our 
spirits and soul together would then use the body as a means of expression for God so that Christ, the fullness of his life, could be revealed in our body. You see, the Lord wants to break the soul of man in order that the spirit of man may just come out, uh, um, come out to express itself. And without the breaking of the soul, the spirit cannot come forth to be a blessing to others because the life of Jesus is imprisoned by us. And the, life, the Lord's life is so confined within us that there's no flow. And his life is not revealed in our everyday living. Remember the million nights I was talking about? Victory came only after they broke the fragile, useless, worthless vessels. And the vessels in Judges are like the earthen vessels and the torch and the treasure, and the torch is uh, the treasure that's inside us. You know, the earthen vessels must be broken for the light to get through. You know, this, um, I don't, some of you might remember this uh, Dr. Harry Ironside, one of the authors of a really old uh, commentator. He says, in order for the light to shine out of the vessel, it must be broken. Because you see, a cracked pot, a broken pot, allows more light to be seen. Now remember the story of this woman who came with the app with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Now the people were just fabricated with uh, such wastage. And they rebuked her harshly because the perfume could be sold and to help the poor. But can you imagine what happens when the alabaster jar of very expensive perfume was broken? Can you imagine the fragrance that would have filled the room that day? You know, it seems that that things that we need to break for us to get a break. Earthen vessels of pride, of ego, earthen vessels of disobedience, of arrogance, of anger, of covetousness, of impatience, of self-pity, of, of uh, self-limitation, of unedifying communication, all must be broken. We need to break it for the treasure inside us to come forth, to burst forth, for the light to shine out, for the fragrance to permeate the whole room, for the life of Jesus to flow out, for the spirit to be released. You know, some of the stuff you need to break as not necessary sin. Yours could be just maybe that, an inability to forget the past failures the past, so much so that it holds you ransom and hostage, and you can't get beyond that. You need to break that. And once you break it, the Bible tells us rivers of living water will begin to flow out of you. You know, Paul says that there's some afflictions that comes along the way, 
and affliction that comes to sort of align us to uh, our body and soul so that the life of Christ may flow out. So it doesn't matter if you are downcast, trampled upon, discriminated against, but once you break the staff that easily entangles you and holds you to ransom, you will break through. And your enemies, like the, the minimized, will just turn against each other in the name of Jesus. And the life of Jesus will flow through. You know, we may know all about you know, the, the Christian way of living, the life of Jesus, and never been able to communicate to others, the light to others, and to spread his fragrance because we have never been broken in the presence of God. And before the spirit can rule over the soul and the body, it needs to be broken. And this morning as we come again, just remind ourselves that we need to be thankful. Thankful that God can use uh, just ordinary um, to express the extraordinary. And so let's just go out and celebrate this day. That ordinary jars of clays, ordinary earthen vessels been given this extraordinary treasure. But it needs to break out for the light to go through. It needs to be broken for the fragrance of Christ to permeate the room. It needs to be broken for the release of the Spirit. It needs to be broken for the life of Christ to be revealed in our body. Let's pray. I Father, as we come before this morning, again, we're just reminded, Lord, what tremendous uh, uh, of who we, uh, well, who we are, that we have been wonderfully created. And yet within us, Lord, you have given us a treasure that is uh, priceless in this, on this earth. Lord, you're just mindful as we go on each day, Lord, to allow your light and your fragrance and your spirit and your life to just flow through our body uh, to be a blessing of the others. So, Father, we just commit ourselves to you and know that you will direct us, guide us, and protect us, and bless us even as we go through the days ahead. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.